Lovely. Thanks, Jan. Let's uh, let's pray. Father, we give you thanks for Daniel. Thank you for his witness, his faithfulness. And I pray that you would speak to us now through his dream and these words and my words. Amen. So we're coming to the end of our Daniel series, as Sue said earlier. Um, I hope you found it interesting and uh, helpful. Uh, I've certainly enjoyed speaking through uh, Daniel. There is more of Daniel than uh, seven chapters, um, but uh, it does get a little esoteric after this point. So if you fancy a, an interesting hour or so, then do carry on reading through. Uh, and uh, if you have any questions, uh, wait till you get to heaven. Last week, we learned history's secret. I wonder if you can remember what it was. God is able to keep his people safe, even through the turmoil and pain of history, because the lamb wins. That is history's secret. And that was the main point of Daniel's dream. But what about those beasts? I did promise last week that we'd come back to those. The dream was pretty terrifying for Daniel, but was it just a dream or something more? Uh, once Jess and I were on holiday in Wales and we walked up Snowdon, or whatever it's going to be called now, I'm afraid I can't pronounce it, and the peak was visible the whole way up. I was really excited because I'd walked up Snowdon before several times and I'd never seen the view from the top of Snowdon because it was always under cloud. So I was getting really excited because we could see it. It was in clear sunlight. And I thought, yes, I'm finally going to see the view from the top of Snowdon. But true to form, when we were only a few hundred meters from the top, the clouds descended. And so when we finally reached the top, as normal, we had a lovely view of the inside of a Welsh cloud. We could see the top of Snowdon for the, almost the entire walk. But what's more common on a walk like that are false summits. You think you're almost there, you can see the top, you struggle on, you get to the top of the rise, and then you see another one even steeper further ahead. And sometimes there are even several of these before you reach the actual summit. Um, I can see one or two of you nodding. You've, some of you have obviously had that experience. It kind of makes you feel a bit deflated, to be honest, if it's a long, especially if it's a hot day and it's a hard climb, um, you can feel exhausted, uh, frustrated. I mean, sometimes some people may, may even feel angry uh, at the fact that the hill has let you down, Jessica. <clears throat> but it's all forgotten when you reach the top. Now imagine you're on the same walk, but with someone who's done that before, who's been on that walk, who knows the way, and she is able to warn you about the false summits. So you don't get too disheartened, but you keep on going until you reach the top. Daniel's dream is a bit like that friend, warning us of the false summits to come. Daniel quite naturally wanted to know what the dream meant. So he got over his inner macho and decided to ask for directions. He says in verse 15, I approached one of those standing there and asked him the meaning of all this. The man or angel, it doesn't say, replied, verse 17, the four great beasts are four kings that will rise from the earth. In that sense, the meaning of the vision of the dream is quite clear. It's about actual kings 
in actual places ruling actual people. It's not, we don't need to pretend and try and make it more complicated than it is. As to who those kings are or were, well, as I said last week, the first three are often identified as Babylon, Persia and Greece, the first truly international empires. And I think I tend to agree with that. I see echoes in this dream of, with the statue of Nebuchadnezzar um, in uh, of Nebuchadnezzar's dream in chapter two. But what about that fourth beast, the fourth king or kingdom? Would that not be Rome, the empire that conquered Greece? Well, sometimes people say it is, but I'm, I'm not so sure. You see, three times in chapter seven, we read these words about the fourth beast. Verse seven, it was different from all the former beasts. Verse 19, the fourth beast was different from all the others. And verse 23, the fourth beast will be different from all the other kingdoms and will devour the whole earth. The four beast is different different and different. It is not like the other kingdoms. Terrible though they were and would be, Daniel was told this one will devour the whole earth, trampling it down and crushing it. It is uncompromising in its opposition to God. It is unrelenting in its reach across the world and it is unstoppable in its savagery against God's people. And that's why I think it's still to come. Rome was pretty bad. But really, it was meet the new boss, same as the old boss. So Rome can't really be the fourth kingdom because the fourth kingdom is something else, something new, something worse. So the meaning of the beasts, I think, is this. History is beastly. Those three empires, Babylon, Persia and Greece, kicked off two and a half thousand years and counting of empire building, destruction and exploitation on an ever increasing scale. They, if you like, were the first false summits. But there have been many more since, not least the British Empire. Those three kick-started the pattern we see throughout history. Someone called Barbara Tuckman put it like this, revolutions produce other men not new men. History is beastly and it is hurtling towards a terrifying end, a king and a kingdom that stands utterly opposed to God and his people. It's getting a bit depressing really, isn't it? History is beastly, but his story is better. You see what I did there? History is beastly, but his story is better. Now, first, one of the one of the fun things about Daniel and Revelation is all this stuff about horns on beasts. It's all that's where it really starts to get a bit strange for me. Um, so if you if you look at, at the end of the dream in, in verse eight, you read about some that this fourth beast having 10 horns. Now, horns are a sign of authority and rule. Um, and then a little horn grows up amongst these 10 horns and uproots three of them. Um, and the little horn is described like this. It had eyes like the eyes of a human being and a mouth that spoke boastfully. So you have this picture of a, of a hideous beast with 10 horns and then a little horn with eyes and a mouth speaking boastfully. And three of them, I mean, it, it starts to get a bit strange. But actually, the explanation is pretty clear. The 10 horns are 10 kings and the little horn is a last king. 
the worst king, the most evil of the lot. It's explained to Daniel in verse 24. He sums up this last king, all opposition against God. All these horns and kings, evil is scary and powerful, but it is also fractured and it is full of infighting. I don't know if you've ever seen uh, films or TV shows or something where you've got baddies who lie and betray one another and they can't trust each other, can they? I watched a pretty awful film uh, this week about the Hatton Garden robbery. Uh, it had some pretty good people in it, like Michael Gambon and Michael Caine. It, it, was, it was an awful film, but it was marked by infighting because they didn't trust each other, because they were so used to lying. These crooks who'd got to the end of their lives, pretty much, this was their last big job, and they'd spent so long lying, they couldn't trust each other. Evil may devour the whole earth, but it can't hold itself together. It can't last. It's the first reason why his story is better. Because notice how many kings God's kingdom has. We sort of skipped over it a bit last week in this vision of the one like a son of man arriving in heaven. Notice the coming isn't to earth. The coming is to heaven. Um, there's one like a son of man arrives in heaven before the throne of God and is made king. That's Jesus. And there is one of him. There is one king in God's kingdom. All those beasts, all those kings, they, they keep trying but not one of them can last. Not one of them can stand before Jesus' throne. And so second, his story is better because he wins. Verse 26 there, but the court will sit and his power will be taken away, his being the beast or this final king, and completely destroyed forever. Again, I said this last week, there's no lord of the rings style epic battle between these two massive armies on 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 a, on a battlefield god's enemies are ready for one but he doesn't even need to fight them he simply announces his judgment and they lose and are destroyed forever and then god's people brought safely through the beastly history in verse 27 are given security in the everlasting kingdom of God, ruled by Jesus. Amen to that. History is beastly, but his story is better. Evil can't last and God wins. Now, all this has already started, but we don't know when it will end. God didn't give Daniel this dream to tell us when. Uh, you notice there at the end uh, of Jan's reading in verse 25, the final evil king will reign for a time, times and half a time. It's nice and clear, isn't it? The time is set. God knows how long that time is going to be. The time that we're in, the time that will come when that evil king lasts. He knows the times. But he doesn't tell us because we don't need to know to trust him. God lifts the veil, but only so much. He reveals the truth, enough of the truth to encourage us, but he leaves some mysteries hidden. 
God gave Daniel this dream to warn us. If you thought Babylon was bad, he says, just wait. Even after the horrors of the 20th century, we still haven't seen the full extent and power of evil. To be warned is to be prepared for the evil that we face and see in the world. But God also gave Daniel this dream to encourage us. To encourage us that history is beastly, but his story is better because he wins. God is able. God is able to keep his people, to keep you safe. So whether or not the end is nigh, I called today's talk the end is nigh, or is it? Whether or not the end is nigh, this is what matters. That our God is the God most high and he alone is able. He alone can carry us safely through history. So trusting in him is the only way to stay faithful in our exile. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this warning and this encouragement. Help us to face the world and its evil with eyes open, prepared for what comes, but also trusting in your power and your authority, which one day will defeat evil entirely. Help us trust in you to carry us safely through the storms of this life, through the evil we face, through the hardships, the pains and the difficulties. Help us trust you to keep us safe. We pray all this in the name of our Lord, the King, the Lamb who wins, Jesus Christ, our Saviour. Amen.